listening to the sermon podcast from Real Life Moscow Campus, reaching the world for Jesus one person at a time. Good morning, family. How are you? I'm woo myself. Um, glad you're here. Uh, I feel today that uh, I want to begin with prayer, and I know I don't normally do that. Here's why. Uh, I believe that if I'm not prayed up and ready to be on stage before I get here, 30 seconds of praying for God to do something is probably not going to accomplish a whole lot. But today, I feel led by the, by the Holy Spirit to pray. And so I want to begin with prayer, and then um, we will jump into our sermon. God, I... I just have been reflecting on the the story you've told through our church in this community, and it's just been so incredible from from day one of how you pulled it all together to the changed lives, and, and God, we've seen you in new and profound ways, and we've experienced you as a God who is good and who is for us and who has good things for our life, and um, God, for so many of us, we've been able to let go of the, the religious baggage that gave us altered perspectives on that. Lord, we've learned to, to emphasize ourselves less and you more. Um, and God, today, uh, I just, yeah, I just sense this. Satan's not pleased, he's scared. And so God, I, as Satan tries to do his part to undo, in the name of Jesus, God, get Satan's claws out of this church. Get his claws out of our hearts, out of our perspectives, out of our thinking. God, help us to be wholly invested in, in your heart for this church and for the community and for the individuals that are here. Bind our hearts together. God, help us to be one as Jesus' prayer was for us. In your name, amen. All right, so we're gonna talk about the text today. I wanna uh, kind of review a little bit about where we've been. And so we've been, we're in this Shaping Faith series and um, I, uh, I wanna make sure that we understand as we go through this that you're gonna find along the way individual disciplines that mean more to you than others. Some of them you will naturally be attracted to more than others. And, and that's okay. Part of that's personality. Part of it is ease of use. Part of it is all, is all different kinds of things. But what we have to understand is that if we're really going to be spiritually healthy, then we need pieces of all of these things in our life. And so what we've been focusing on in this first phase of this series is our core four. So I want to throw the graph up. Our core four is our, um, this is our internal personal development. This is the part of us that focuses on the, the inner human um, wholeness on the inside, dealing with our fractures and, and wounds on our heart and soul and, and trying to navigate those and learn and grow and do all those things. And, and last week, um, Josh talked about prayer and I thought he did a great job. In fact, I thought it was the best sermon that he's ever preached. Um, 
no, it's a high bar. Like, don't, don't screw it up the next time. <laughs> I thought it was great. And it was super useful. And he talked a lot about prayer. Prayer is this idea of surrendering my will to God's will. It makes my heart like God's heart. And it makes me more fruitful for service in the kingdom when my heart is like God's heart. And so prayer accomplishes that. Now, what a lot of us will do is we'll find something like prayer, which is efficient. It's an efficient means to try to get God to tell us something. And um, that's all we'll do. But that's kind of like going to the gym and you only do bench press. Like you can, you can work out, work out, work out. These massive pecs and just puny the rest of you, right? It doesn't look right. It doesn't look right. And so you wind up, it winds up being this point where you're like, eh, kind of, that guy looks weird. Like I, don't, I have a hard time even looking. But I have huge pecs, right, but nothing else. That's the problem. Because it's not a rounded out approach to physical development. Same thing with if you pick any one discipline over another, over the whole package, you begin to overdevelop in one area and it's lopsided. It's not right. And so then, then what happens is the good thing that that discipline brings to you gets overextended and becomes too much, right? Like the text gives us knowledge. We'll talk about that in a little bit. But knowledge overextended becomes legalism. Are you with me on that? Like that's not good. There's nothing wrong with knowledge, but knowledge overextended becomes legalism, and that's not what we're pulling for. We need all four of these things. We need text. We need prayer. We need worship, and we need fasting. And I know that some, I know there's many of you in here that are naturally bent towards fasting. <laughs> You're like, I just love not eating. I just love hunger. Um, it's one of my favorites. Here's the thing, though. Like, if you only fast, you'll die, right? Like, you can't. So, so what, what I'm talking about here is you need a rounded perspective on all of these things. All four of them are necessary. The danger of doing one a week is that you'll walk out of here, and if you, like, if you miss one week or this is, like, let's say you're going to be gone for various reasons for the next four weeks, and you hear this one, you might think that what we're saying is this is the only one you really need. No, they're all significant. They're all significant. What we do is, with prayer, is that we start to use prayer just like I prayed and then God said this. Now, let me be clear. And we're going to talk about this more in a second. God does speak to you in prayer. And so what I usually recommend for people who are new to praying is that just spend, we're not talking about hours and hours of prayer. We're talking about five minutes. Spend five minutes in prayer. Tell God who he is to you. Tell God what you need from him. Cast all your cares on him because he cares for you. That's what the word of God says. Do that, and then before you get up and leave, stop and quiet your soul. Take a breath, and then write whatever comes to your mind. It very well could be Holy Spirit speaking to you. It could also be gas and the problem is when you and I only use prayer and we don't use other methods of hearing God speak, we get gassed. <laughs> uh, you know, we get, we get misdirected. We get misdirected sometimes. And so 
It could very well be God speaking to you, but that's insufficient for you to know for sure. And so what happens is people are like, I just want to hear God speak. Well, he may be speaking to you, so write it down. He may, he may not be. Well, how do we know? Well, there's four ways that God speaks to you. There's four ways that God speaks to you, and I want to I point these out and look at them because this is significant. Number one is prayer. God speaks to us in prayer. He does. He absolutely does. I will never diminish that. I just don't want it to overextend because then what we can do is use the God told me bully card, right? And that's not good. That's not good. Number two way that God speaks to us is through circumstances. God sometimes, not all the time that God's speaking to us, but a lot of times God will open doors and close doors in our life. He will block you and set your path. And, and God does that, and I love that. Have you ever noticed that um, when, when you, uh, God wants you to do something, like you can't get away from it. Everywhere you go, the radio programs you're listening to, the television, the, the P, like I remember when, when my wife and I were considering adoption, we were praying about whether or not the Lord wanted us to adopt. It was funny because every television program that we watched had something to do with adoption. Not, and we, like I was watching the CMT Top 20 Music Videos of the Week. The, the special guest on there was Stephen Curtis Chapman talking about his Chinese adoption. Like, that was the kind of thing that happened all the time. It, uh, and, uh, and, not, and, and it was not only adoption, but it was adoption from China. Like, God was directing our path. Everyone that we met was part of the adoption community. It was just, it was just and it's been this amazing experience for us. Like, adoption's been the best. Um, but uh, it was one of those things where God led us through circumstances, as we were praying and in his word. Make sense? The third way that God speaks to us is through other people. I actually just had this happen between services. Um, there's, have you ever noticed there's these times, it doesn't happen all the time, but there's these times where you'll be talking to someone and they'll say something and be completely unaware of what those words mean in your heart. Like they don't know, but God uses those words because it's not about the words coming out of their mouth. It's about what Holy Spirit does with it in my heart, right? That's the thing that we have to keep in mind. And, and so what a lot of people say is, well, God can only use other Christian people to speak to you. No, that's not true because it's not about whether or not they have the Holy Spirit. It's about what God does with it in my heart. That's the part that matters. So God speaks to us through other people and God speaks to us through his word. Every word of the Bible is saturated with Holy Spirit inspiration. And that's why the Bible says, Hebrews 4.12, the word of God is living and active. What that means is you can read a passage of scripture and it can speak to your heart in one way. And then six months later, you come back across that same passage of scripture and it hits you a completely different way. Like the Bible is never going to be irrelevant, even if you only had one chapter of it. Because it's not about the words on the page, it's about the Holy Spirit working it in my own soul. That's how the text is designed, right? And so these are the four ways that God speaks to us. And what I usually recommend for people is what you're looking for to know that God is speaking to you is that all four of those things are lining up. They're all four saying the same thing right? Not just prayer, 
Not just Bible reading, not just other people, and not just circumstances. All of them collectively put together, all going the same direction. And I love when God does that because for me, I'm not that bright. And so God has to be painfully obvious. I remember when we were um, praying and fasting about coming down here to plant this church. And uh, we had initially planned on fasting 40 days, which is, I don't know why we picked 40, because Jesus did it, so, so can I. Um, he also walked on water, but I didn't count that. Uh, it was just the number that I picked. And so as we were fasting, well, here's what was weird. As we were fasting, there were people who had no idea that we were fasting and praying. No idea. And I had more than 10 in a span of seven days that came up to me out of the blue and said, man, when are you going to plant a church? They were just making conversation. They had no idea what was going on inside of me. Do you make sense? Does that make sense? They had no idea how that was going to impact me. And then we had some other people that I consider the super marathoners of praying. Um, that if you, most of us are like 5K prayers. We, we run a 5K in our prayer life. Like it's three and a half miles. I could walk it if I have to. I'm going to limp along, right? That, and that's, there's, that's not wrong. But then there are people who run 10Ks. There are people who are marathoners, right? Like they're 26.2 mile prayers. But then there are super marathoners, 100 mile races that people actually run because they want to. <laughs> right? I don't understand. I don't, I don't know why you would ever want to run 100 miles total in your life. But they do. They love it. There's, then they run that experience God's pleasure, right? Same thing with praying. There, there are people who pray, and then there are people who are disciplined prayers. They're like the marathoner. And then there are people who are just like, if, if they could pray 24-7 and never eat and never sleep and never socialize, they would be so filled up in their spirit because that's just who they are. And so there were some of those people that I um, gathered and just said, hey, uh, I want you to be praying about this with me unanimously, they all came back and said, God's saying go. Right? Like I couldn't get away from it. All four of our things were lining up in a direction, so we came here. That's how that happened. The job of the text, and this is important, is to give us knowledge. It's it's concrete, it's unchanging, it's a body of knowledge that we can glean from. Now, that sounds awfully academic, but the Bible gives us knowledge about all kinds of things. The Bible gives us knowledge about um, who I am and how God sees me. And the Bible gives us knowledge about how the world is supposed to function. And it gives us knowledge about why God created it the way he did. And it gives us knowledge about people who followed God's pattern for this world and how that went. And then people who didn't follow God's pattern and how that went. And it gives us knowledge about how we're supposed to engage people who disagree with us. And like the Bible is super relevant, okay? It, it gives us all of this information. Probably most importantly, I do that to a lot of people, I'm sorry. Sorry. Probably most importantly, the Bible tells us about who God is. And so I want to give you four uh, things. I don't want to get all technical on you. I want to give you four ways that the Bible helps us understand God 
and then um, we'll move into the next section here. Number one, it shows us who he is. God's the creator of heaven and earth, beasts of the field, the fish of the sea, the birds of the air, and men and women. And in John 3.16, it says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Like, so we know a couple of things. God's creator, and, um, the, and we also know that God loves the world that he created. Right? Look at this from James 1. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights who does not change like the shifting shadow. So everything good in your life is a gift from God. And that God doesn't change. If he's good, he's always good. And that's important for us to know because sometimes life doesn't feel good. But that knowledge helps me to live out God's goodness in difficult circumstances. Because I believe in the truth, the knowledge that I've learned from the text that God is good and that the good gifts that he gives me doesn't change. Circumstances change, but God's goodness doesn't. Okay? It also teaches me what he's like. In the Psalms alone, we can learn all kinds of things about God. Let's look at Psalm 18. As for God, his way is perfect. The Lord's word is flawless. He shields all who take refuge in him. He's perfect and flawless. What would it be like to be God and look in the mirror? Like, what do I, because you know how you look in the mirror. Like, I have, no, there's that and that problem. That, God looks in the mirror and he's like, huh. That's, that's enough. <laughs> Once you hit perfection, you just kind of plane off. Let's look at this one, Psalm 50. Gather to me this consecrated people who made a covenant with me by my sacrifice. He consecrates his people. Look at this one from Psalm 116. The Lord is gracious and righteous. Our God is full of compassion. And if God is gracious and full of compassion, then so must we be. Because the Bible says, here's a knowledge piece, you and I are ambassadors for Jesus. Paul says that it's as though he was making his appeal through us to be reconciled to God. What that means is we don't go out into the world representing ourselves. We go out into the world representing God. And so we have to act like he is. If he's full of grace and compassion, then we have to be full of grace and compassion. It's just the way it is. Now, you think about this. Um, some of you in this room I know pretty well. And, and so if I was an ambassador on your behalf, I could represent you pretty well because I know you. I know who you are. I know what you care about. I know um, how you would respond in certain situations. But for many of you, I don't know you well at all. And so I would be a terrible ambassador for you. I would be a terrible ambassador for you because I don't know... I don't know who you are. I don't know what you're like. I don't know how you would act in situations. I don't know the words you would use or not use, you know? And that's the, that's the Bible for us. It's this way for us to know God so that we can become his ambassador. We do a good job of representing him to the world. It also shows us where we can find him. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all of your heart. Look at this from Proverbs 8. I love those who love me and those who seek me find me. Like, how do, we, how do we know where to find? Like, maybe the problem if you're not finding God in your life is that you're really not looking for him. You're expecting to come in with a two-by-four and smack you between the eyes. Like, that breath you just took, two-by-four smack. 
right? Like oxygen, kind of cool. You know, the, anyway. Last one is how to follow him. Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee. He saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the lake for their fishermen. Come follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. And at once they left their nets and followed him. How do, how do you follow Jesus? Don't hesitate. Just do it. Don't set your face to the plow and look back. You're not fit for service is what the Bible says. And there's lots of examples of that. Remember we talked about Lot's wife a while back. Um, that Jesus had many people. One guy came to him and said, uh, I'd follow you anywhere, just let me go bury my parents. And Jesus says, let the dead bury the dead. You take up your cross and follow me. If you're gonna follow Jesus, don't hesitate. Um, in the words of Larry the Cable Guy, get her done, right? Uh, here's another one. New command I give you, love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this will everyone know that you're my disciples if you love one another. So how do we follow him? How do we let people know that we're following Jesus? We love one another. We gotta figure out how to do that. And that's hard and complicated because hurt people hurt people, right? And there's all kinds of ways that we want to use the Bible to gain knowledge. Now let me, let me say this about the Bible. The Bible is a really big book with a lot of words and not very many pictures. Fair enough? And it's intimidating, right? It is. Here's a truth about the Bible that we have got to understand. If you want to, you can literally make the Bible say anything you want it to. And that's really dangerous. Because what we do is we use the Bible to either just tout truth or we use the Bible to support truth that I want to hold to. Because I think my truth is important, so I make the Bible say it. Here's the thing you have to understand about the Bible. When you're reading the Bible, the Bible does give us God's truth. But if we just use the Bible to deduce God's truth, we wind up really beating people up with it. We become truth bullies. The Bible doesn't only give us God's truth. It also, it also gives us God's value system for how we live that truth out. And that's a really significant thing to put together. Let me give you an example. No, 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 take that verse off. They're trying to get ahead of me. Um, don't know where I'm gonna go. Let me give you an example. Uh, and I want you, before you walk, get up and storm out, I want you to hear me all the way through to the end. So New York just passed this new abortion law. The abortion law is that all the way up to full term, you can have the baby almost completely delivered and as long as it hasn't taken its first breath, you can choose to abort it at that point. Like it can be partially out of the mother's womb and you can choose to abort it. Uh, for the record, that is evil. Now, it's sin, 
and, and here's, here's what I want to qualify that with. It's not a sin that's worse than any other sin. Like we all sin and we all struggle and we all got to figure it out. And, and this isn't a place to condemn. And that's my point. The point of it isn't that we know that truth. The point is how we live out our value system in light of that truth. Let me give you a story. Let's say that a 16-year-old girl finds herself pregnant. And she's so embarrassed that she can't even tell her parents. And she has three options. All of them are terrible. One is to keep the baby. So she's got to carry it and, and everybody's got to know and people are going to see. Uh, she can adopt it out, which makes her feel like a quitter. Or she can abort the baby. None of those are good options. So in her mind... In order to try to just, oh my gosh, I made a mistake. I want to get over the mistake and move on. She chooses, she chooses abortion. And she goes to the clinic. And I'm standing outside the abortion clinic with my sign telling her that she's in sin and wrong because God says so. That is not the value system by which we are called to live out our truth. So it's not about, like, Christians get lost in these truth wars, and what we would do well to focus on is way more understanding about the value system by which we live out our truth. Because you can hold to your conviction without being a jerk. And again, if you're sitting in here, you're like, I don't agree with your view on abortion. I have my conviction based on what I understand the Bible to say, but I, we can love each other regardless of that. And then somewhere in the midst of that, we find Jesus and Holy Spirit gets involved and all of a sudden he starts to change our hearts on both sides. But we're fighting for relationship, not against it. And that feels a whole lot more Jesus-y to me. It's not, about, it's, it's not about your truth. Now, the Bible gives us truth. Hold to your truth. Hold passionately to your truth, but hold much more passionately to the value of grace and compassion because that's who God is, and we are his ambassadors. I need, I need a nap after that. Um, there's all kinds of ways that we distort the word of God, right? Like, God will not tempt you beyond what you're able. You ever heard that verse? <laughs> Have, now, question. Does the Bible say those words in that order? Yes. Yes, it does. Does the Bible mean how we use it to mean? No. Stick it back in the context and read it. God will crush you. absolutely God will crush you and break you down to your most foundational core. He just won't leave you alone in the moment. And in the midst of that, he builds something more beautiful. That's what the Bible says. He makes beauty from ashes. But from God's world, you have to be ashes first. That's the part that we don't like. Look at, look at this one. There's lots more. And we all have our pet peeves uh, scriptures that we pick on 
to like, this one's misquoted, this one, yeah, 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 they're all, you're probably right. Look at 1 Timothy 6. But godliness with contentment is great gain for we brought nothing into the world and we can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. Those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. Does this passage say that you shouldn't be rich? No, but then why is it that if we have money in the church, we're scared to talk about it? And if we, if we don't have money, we find the people who do have money and go, you're not as spiritual as me. <laughs> right? Like we use verses like this to beat up. Listen, there are people in this world that are divinely engineered to make money. And they do it really well. It's this... It's this divinely inspired flaw in them. Everything they do, they like they, they trip and fall in the ice and they make a million bucks. Not because they sued anybody, they just found a million bucks under a car. Like that's, <laughs> that's who they are. That's who they are. Uh, I was talking, talking with a friend about their friend who just lost like this multi, multi-million dollar ranch and all this stuff. And he's like, yeah, we'll just make more money. Like, People who live in that world, they just know how to make money, right? There are those people. And and listen, I pray for all of you, millions of dollars with proper stewardship. Because for most of us, we don't have the internal fortitude to handle that kind of responsibility. And I know that you're all going, well, give me a shot. That's why I'm praying it for you, but Holy Spirit gets to decide what's actually true, right? He intercedes for us to the Father with prayers that words cannot express. Like, it's not, money is not evil. Money is necessary reality in our world. It's the love of money, the pursuit of that at the expense of what's best, that's where we fall into trouble. Here's another one, Philippians 4.13. We've talked about this. I can do all things through him who gives me strength, right? This is another big one. This is a problem because we, we pray like, I got this thing I need to do, and so I'm gonna, I, can do it, I can do it through Jesus, his word says. What this verse is talking about is Paul saying, I'm in prison, I'm being beaten and treated poorly, and I'm okay because I'm here for the cause of Christ, and wherever I am for the cause of Christ is enough. That's a very different prayer. And I think for many of us, what we have to come to terms with is that while the words may be on the page in a particular order, it's not enough for us to just pull a verse out and use it however we want to use it. We have to know the verse in its context and then what that context meant to the people who it was originally written to. Because you can't understand what it means for you until you know what it meant for them. That's important for us because what we do is this surfacey, childish Bible study and act like we've gotten some great big truth and we abuse God's word. Like I would hate to stand before God and have God look at me and go, man, you completely mishandled my Bible. Like we ought to take that, that's a sacred trust that God has given to us. and We ought to take it seriously. And and so what we're going to do right now, I'm going to throw this quote up on the board, and I think this is up on the board, up on the screen, and I think this is significant. 
If you don't know what the text says, then you don't know what the text doesn't say. And the problem with that is that, remember, was it 15 or so years ago when the Da Vinci Code came out? And everybody was like, oh my goodness, this seems like it could be plausible. (laughs) That's what good fiction writers do. (laughs) And Dan Brown is brilliant. He's a brilliant, great writer. Every time he comes out with a new book, my wife and I always get it on tape and we, take, we save it for a long drive. CD. We get it on Audible now. Eight track. What's that? Eight-track. We get it on 8-track. Some of us don't have newfangled cars. Got my 8-track player. No. <laughs> Shut up. Feeling insecure now. I remember when the book The Secret came out and they used verses to prove their points, verses of scripture, Proverbs, to make the points that were in the book that when you give good vibes out into the universe, you get good vibes back from the universe. So we want to give positivity out so that we can get positivity back. And for the problem for most people, the secret to living is that we put negative out into the universe so all we can get back is negative. Right? And they used verses from the Bible. And we had people come to the, like, did you read this? Here's the problem. They're used to preachers who preach like that. Who are like, we're not wrestling the text. I have a point I want to make, and I'm going to make the Bible say it. We're not handling the word of God well. And so consequently, we don't know what it says. So we don't know what it doesn't say. And it's important. We've got to be diligent about the sacred privilege of reading God's word. And if you're like, I don't read good. It's okay, I don't speak good. Great, get it on, get it on, you can get the, on an app. version has audio versions. Uh, Bible Gateway has an app. It's got audio versions, multiple different audio versions. You're like, well, I don't read good and I don't listen good. Well, what do you do good? I watch, I watch TV real good. I got just a thing for you. The Bible has been made into movies. Stop making excuses and get the word of God in your heart. Because at the end of the day, no matter what book you carry around, you make decisions by the word of God that's in your heart. The goal isn't to carry around the right book, it's to ingest it. And with that, we're gonna move towards the Lord's table which is something that we do every week. And if you're new with us, we have an open table, which means you're welcome to take communion with us if you're willing to celebrate the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus with us. While they're passing that out, we're gonna work through our questions for our home groups this week. So if you're new and you, or if you're not in a home group and you're like, I don't know about these home group things, just, this is just an opportunity for you to go, oh, this is what we're gonna talk about this week in our home groups. Might be a great opportunity for you to get into it. Uh, question number one. What intimidates you about reading the Bible? What intimidates you about reading the Bible? Maybe because it's just so big. Like, I don't even know where to start. Or maybe you're like, Leviticus. <laughs> Let's be honest. I, I wanted to read the Bible, so I began with Leviticus. <laughs> Says no one ever. Uh, Leviticus is incredible. It's an incredible book. It's the deep end of the Bible reading pool. Like you don't start there, right? Go to the kiddie pool. Go to Philemon. It's one chapter. 
You're like, I read an entire book of the Bible today. Do, here's like for a lot of people, what intimidates you, like, I, just, I don't even know where to begin. And so they're like, do I just start and read it cover to cover? Well, you can do that. And a lot of people do do that, but it's not designed to be read that way. So it's, you may miss, you kind of miss the forest for the trees when you read it that way. You miss kind of the larger alongside story, the meta narrative that goes on in the scripture. Um, but you can do it that way. You can get a, the best way to get over your intimidation of not knowing where to begin is just to get a plan. Just have a plan, any plan. Read the Bible through in a year plan or um, like read the gospels through in a year plan or whatever, like just have a plan. Like I'm gonna read and, and I'm just gonna read a chapter a day. I'm gonna start an A book and I'm gonna read one chapter a day. It, just have a plan. Have, that will take away all the fear of, am I doing it right? <laughs> here's, if, if you, here's the deal, Dan. Here's the deal. If you open your Bible and you're reading it, you're doing it right. Okay, there's no wrong way to read God's word. What I usually recommend to people who have never really read the Bible or spent time reading the Bible is simply this. Read until something hits you and then stop, underline it, highlight it with, with a, not a black highlighter. So <laughs> a lot of people do. Highlight it and then think, meditate on it. Like why did this one hit me? Why did this hit me? It's a simple way to do it and read until something hits you. And sometimes it's one verse, sometimes it's several chapters. Read until something hits you. So you get a, what? whoa, ooh, that was good. Ooh, that was meaningful to me. And then jot down what's going on in you with the process. Like there's, that's a great way to just do it. And again, could be God speaking to you. Could be gas. Could be God speaking to you. So we want to confirm it in these other ways, right? We want to confirm what God's saying in these other ways to ourselves. Next question. Who do you talk to about what you're reading? I'm convinced that too many people try to do disciplines alone and disciplines aren't made to live in a vacuum. You should never read the Bible completely alone. Like you can spend time reading the Bible alone, but you need to be talking about what you're reading with somebody. It's one of the reasons why home groups are so important. You need to be sharing what God's saying to you through the word or what you're learning in the word. You need to be talking about that because if you're getting a sense of like, I feel like God may be saying this to me, you know, I've been reading five days in a row and every day he's hit me with the same kind of thing. Um, well, maybe we need to pay attention to that. And maybe you need somebody to step in and go, listen, you're way off base on that and here's why. But at least be talking about that with somebody so that you're not left in your own head because we only know what we know. Who, who are you talking to about what you're reading? Number three, what could someone learn about you if they opened your Bible and flipped through it? Mm. You know, so as somebody who does the... Uh, um, the sacerdotal duties of funerals. Do you like that? Sacerdotal. Strong. I, that, means, that means I get to do funerals sometimes. One of my favorite things to do for the funerals of believers is to open their Bible and see the scriptures that they have highlighted. Because what it is, is it's a journey through their life where God spoke to them at different moments. It's kind of cool. It's kind of cool. Like where, where, where are the tear stains on the pages and 
where the, where the pages highlighted so much in, in margins written on the side. Like you should, you should read your Bible that way. If somebody opened your Bible up and flipped through it, what would they, what would they learn about you? Or would they be able to learn anything? Last question. How can we help each other cultivate this discipline? Like this is a really good one to think about in your home groups. They're like, how do we help each other cultivate this discipline of being in the text? I love taking communion every week. I do. I, I, what I love about it, especially this week, is you know this. The Word of God tells us a story. It's a historically accurate story, by the way. It actually happened where God became man and said, hey guys, I want you to know how much I love you. And I want to prove to you that there is no place that I won't go to ensure that you know how much I love you. And that I have so many good things for your life if you'll just trust me. And so uh, we have the story of Jesus right at the very end of his life laying it down so that we could have everything that God intends for us to have in our life. This reminds us that on the night Jesus was betrayed, he took bread, he broke it, and he said, this is my body which is given for you, so whenever you eat this bread, do it in remembrance of me. And in the same way, after the dinner, he took a cup, and he said, this cup, it's been a covenant in my blood, it's shed for you, so whenever you drink this cup, do it in remembrance of me. Let's pray. Lord, um, I'm so grateful for the fact that you Um, have given us your word as this Holy Spirit-drenched, concrete um, exposition on you and your agenda for the world and your love for us and how we partner with you to help restore what sin broke. Lord, it tells a story of you being full of grace and compassion, and I'm so thankful for that because I need it. And God, I pray that you would help us to get over all the obstacles that we put in our way, the excuses that we make, and the ways that Satan tries to get us distracted and just sit down and spend time with your amazing Bible. Thank you for that in your name. Amen. Thanks for checking out this message from Real Life on the Palouse. You can find out more about us by visiting us online at liferotp.com and connecting with us on Facebook and Instagram. Also, if you enjoyed this message, make sure you check out the new podcast from our lead pastor, Aaron Couch, called A Better Conversation. Search for it on our website, iTunes, and the Google Play Store.